Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. This is the Elevate Podcast. I am your host, Tyler Johnson. Can't appreciate you enough for dialing in another episode. It's your first time. Welcome. If you've dialed in before, would love if you subscribe, share, or like. Anything to do to help spread anything that might be of value to others that you might have found from this podcast would be gratefully appreciated by myself. This episode, I've got another amazing guest, author of Win in the Dark with Joshua Metcalf. He founded an amazing organization, Inspire Sports, as well. He's a speaker and coach for Train to Be Clutch. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation on many, many levels. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, Lucas Jaden. for those that might not know you take us from cross-country athlete to the work you're now doing with uh train to be clutch yeah well first off uh, tyler thank you for having me on the work that you're doing it's incredible i feel honored to even be part of the journey but um so first and foremost uh yeah i grew up in freedom wisconsin a small town uh in farming community in the middle of wisconsin and uh, you know, in most Midwestern towns, sports uh, were a big deal, and I spent a lot of time there. I was also the oldest of two brothers, and in one side of my family, the oldest of 11, 12 younger cousins, and Whoa. kind of took an early leadership role uh, by default. But yeah, so I, I really got into sports. Actually, my main sport was basketball. I loved basketball, but also fell in love with the individual side of cross country and had just an amazing coach that helped me to see that there was nothing soft about cross country. I had like this belief growing up, like that was for those people. I was going to play football, baseball and basketball. And I I fell in love with the idea of PRing and stepping my foot on the line and going as hard as I possibly could. And I think that when you do an individual sport like that, you really start to navigate and play with the internal depths of yourself. And so in that time, I really started my mental work because I also went through a lot of suffering at that point in high school. Um, On the outside, I had a lot of amazing things going on. Had an incredible family, had good results athletically, academically. But internally, I had this mind that was always thinking, that was always on the go to the point where uh, I couldn't sleep at night. And so... Long story short, my sophomore year, I was going on about four to five hours on average a night, just trying to figure out what was going on with me mentally, trying to hide it from all my friends because there's nothing scarier than being like the guy who's mentally broken among your friend group and uh, really had to go on that journey. And at the time, like my parents did an unbelievable job, but there were also just limited resources for this mental side of things. And so what I was battling with and going through Um, there just weren't a lot of skills. There were like band-aids, some things that could cover it up maybe for a short time that I tried out to the most extent and really had to do some learning myself. And so to fast forward, I went to college to study as a, to be an educator. I really wanted to teach and coach, but my passion was always in this mental side of things. And 
I started learning for myself how to just give myself some relief from that. Uh, my mind that was constantly going started to figure some things out that helped me get off some medication and, and really be just more of who I authentically was. And I think people can feel that in you, you know, when you change and I started to get more opportunities to share that with people, just my journey of unlocking myself mentally and fast forward to one thing led to the next. I saw Joshua, my business partner at Train to Be Clutch speak. Yeah. Uh, we hit it off in a one-on-one -on -one conversation and then over a six or seven month period grew closer and ultimately he welcomed me into the Train to Be Clutch brand and this is about four years ago and cool. the rest is history. Well, right on. I know uh, one of the things is I learned about you too. Um, I have a son with special needs, so it, it kind of pulled at my own heartstrings. Wow. But your work with Inspire Sports, um, can you talk a little bit about maybe some of your time with that and what kind of it inspired uh, the work you did there? Yeah. Well, first off, what's your son? What is son's name? His name is Nolan. Nolan, tell me a little bit. Just give me a little bit about Nolan. Nolan is uh, about four and a half and he's uh, autistic and uh, very active, very just mostly struggles with a lot of verbal and some social connection things, but uh, a wonderful spirit. And man, he's probably one of the best teachers in my life I've got. Wow. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, and you said Nolan, you said? Yep. Yep. Awesome. Nolan Trout. Oh, Nolan Trout. I mean, so Inspire Sports is about, is an organization that I started along with my family to really give athletic schools and athletic teams an opportunity to create sporting clinics for kids with special needs. And it started when I was a head varsity girls basketball coach at the ripe age of 22. Okay. Uh, awesome. And I wanted something that was a fundraiser, but also uh, part of our mental skills that we're, we were doing then, like something that would really bring about what I was trying to teach in a physical form. And we mm -hmm. invited any, any kid that was under this umbrella of a special need, and I put it in quotes because what we learned was what those was quote unquote a special need was really often um, a label that covered up their superpower. And yeah. we got yeah. them working with our athletes and it was incredible. I'll just share this quick story. Um, one of the first clinics we did was a volleyball clinic, one of the first ones. And I can remember we had advertised this thing of like this team, it was at the school, Appleton East High School, I'll still remember it. This group of girls is going to deliver whatever we need for these kids, you show up. And we had started to build a brand and that day before the clinic, we had 50, like 50 families signed up to come and play a volleyball awesome. clinic. So we have this long line of kids like Nolan or, or whoever it might be, like just psyched to get in on this. Yeah. And internally, I'm starting to go like, am I out of my league here? Like, did we <laughs> overpromise? And uh, this, this family comes in and this mom is pushing two boys. Uh, she comes in first with Raymond, parks him in a wheelchair, goes back out, gets Nicholas, pushes him in. And both of the boys uh, had a condition where their bodies, like their head actually laid off to the side of their wheelchair. They can move some limbs, but it was very limited motion. And it was almost like the mom could see my my hesitation of like, okay, breathe. This is a volleyball clinic, but what am I going to do? And she was like, Hey, Lucas, first off, thank you for creating this opportunity for, for my boys. They are yeah. stoked. And she said for them to have a great time, it's really simple. Um, first off, just pick a few mentors that are willing to go all in and aren't hesitant. 
And she said, you see those big beach balls you have over there? And then we look over and we had these monster beach balls blown up. She said, just pick someone that'll take those beach balls and just bop them off Raymond and Nick's head. She said, they will love it. <laughs> so now I'm like, wow. And I looked down the line and you can imagine these high school mentors who they're, they're a little nervous. They're excited, but wondering who they're going to be matched with. And a lot of the kids are turning away. Like, <laughs> don't right, pick right. me. And finally, uh, these two are like raising their hand, like I'll do it. And for the duration of that clinic, they would race these, these two boys around the, the, the volleyball nets. They would take these balls and gently bounce them off their heads. And Raymond and Nick couldn't, um, they couldn't bump, you know, they couldn't set, they couldn't spike, but they got a smile that was huge. And I look over cause I'm kind of checking the mom, like, are they, are we all right yet? Yeah. And I can see that at one point she's got a, she's got a tear rolling down her eye. I'm like, Oh no, too much. Like we did, it was too much. And I go over by her and she was just like, Lucas, this is, this day is one of the best days that I've had. And one of the best days that, that my kids have had. And I can viscerally remember that moment. And inside of the mental training that we still do today, inspire sports is an important part, important part of that of where do you get the experience that you get to? Because she was like, this is one of the first times my boys just get to get in on the action. And I got to tell you that level of gratitude and that level of perspective hit me to where it's a foundation for our mental skills. And today when I'm doing this work with programs or people, um, before we start to talk about strategies or mindsets, we talk about perspective, about what really matters to you. Part of the Train to Be Clutch brand is looking at things from a deathbed perspective. If money yeah. didn't matter, diagnosed with cancer tomorrow, how would you live differently than how you are today? And that's a great place to start of how can we get to that sooner instead of being forced into it later on. And I think that starting with perspective of what really matters and giving them an experience like Inspire that does that without talking is just a superpower for any program and any group of leaders. That's uh, an awesome story. Uh, yeah, as a, as a dad, man, I can I can relate to how she would feel. Um, inspiring story, man. You must make me think as a, as a dad. Um, but um, one of the awesome things that we're connecting about too is is the new book um, you guys just put out, Win in the Dark. Um, are you pumped about the release? Can you talk a little bit about it? I know, uh, for me, I'm, I, I love what you guys do and, and it's just always useful information. We'll talk a little bit more about it, but I want to hear a little bit about from you and, and why should people pick up a copy? Yeah. I mean, I usually stay away from the word should, and the honest reality is I don't know that they should, but, uh, <laughs> I, I, we are seeing a lot of benefit from it. And when in the dark, honestly, has come from the experience that I talked about earlier of my journey high school wise of like so many people in our world, in my opinion, are treating things with a bandaid, right? Like you're struggling with something mentally. And so there's like a three-step plan or there's these visualization tracks or it, it, and I believe in visualization. I believe in those powers, but we're not getting to the root cause. And so in when in the dark, we really spend some time diving into what we've learned over these last five years. And um, so we've learned that everybody is starting to understand that you have to put in the work behind the scenes to be great. Like if you're not willing to do that, 
then the opportunity for you to be great is going to be slim. But we've really focused then on if people are committed to the process, then what still holds them back from being the best version of themselves? And I'll share some. So when I work with people, I ask them that question, often anonymously, what is the toughest mental challenge that holds you back from being the best version of yourself? And um, I'll share back my last, one of my last responses. This is with the Division I baseball team. Right. And um, the toughest mental challenges that I face, and bear with me as I bring up my, my tech here. thought I had it ready to roll, but okay. okay. So the toughest mental challenges that these individuals face, and I'll ask you what you hear a lot of. Um, number one is overthinking the simple stuff. The easy part for me is the hours that we put in on the diamond. The hard part for me is going home and wondering if all my hard work is going to pay off, if I'm going to make the people that I care about proud of me. And that is the toughest part of it. My toughest mental challenge is my dad's expectations. He's all over me. And nothing ever seems good enough. It gets exhausting. I thought getting a division one ride would finally appease that, but it doesn't seem to be working. I've battled with depression and anxiety for most of my life, had to work through suicidal thoughts. This has been bringing that stuff up again, going through COVID, not as big of a deal, but still is very concerning to me. I hate feeling like I'm letting so many people down. I talked a lot about my future, about going into the draft before all of this, but now with all the uncertainty, it's embarrassing when people ask me because I don't know what's going to be coming. The long hours that I have to put in in my craft to even get a shot at what I'm doing. The arrogance that comes in that a lot of people say is my arrogance, but really is me wondering if I'm good enough here. And just a couple more. Uh, being a part of this program, uh, this program, just so you know, is like a top 25 program. So he says, being a part of this program with so many great athletes, I'm constantly wondering if I have what it takes to be a great part of this. And the last one, I lo I'm looked at as the leader of this group, and I love that. It's an honor to be a captain. But there also is a lot of pressure that I tend to put on myself to look like I always have it together, which right now couldn't be further from the truth. So those are, you know, 10 or 15 responses. But what did you hear a lot of? when it comes to what is the toughest mental challenge actually holding you back from being your best? I heard some familiarity from my own struggles in the past, um, for sure. Um, and I think part of that same common root was these outside expectations, these needs to please, or you haven't, uh, you know, been accepted, even though you're there, there's just kind of this more external validation than, you know, and that's what I struggled with, I think, you know, at many points. So, yeah. What do you mean by that? So like, I, I appreciate you willing to be vulnerable. Yeah. Where that Where did that come in for you? I think just, I mean, like even, you know, part of it being a college athlete, you know, you play alongside some guys that they go on to the NFL and other people in your life circle think, well, that's a natural next step for you. Right. And, um, you know, what was your goal is now other people's expectations. Um, and I think, you know, that unraveled in itself in, in different ways. But, uh, you know, I also knew that, hey, it's, it's my goal. Um, and I think even in the transition in a professional career, it was, 
oh, I got this cool job in professional sports, but uh, man, I'm not getting promoted fast enough. I'm not, you know, achieving as fast as I could physically on the football field. Um, am I letting people down? I still had those same things, even though I wasn't on a field that I was letting family members and friends down with, with who I was. Absolutely. And I mean, I really appreciate you being willing to share that. And if you unpack it backwards, more than likely you can see where those tendencies start to come in, whether it's parenting or coaching, where you start to make compensations for believing that you're not enough, that you don't right. have what it takes. And what I, in this book, what we want to do is first and foremost, there are days where mentally you feel great, right? Calm, yeah. collected, you know, your quote unquote, why? <laughs> like, yeah. And those days are great. And, but for every performer that I get to work with, we call those days, the Pentel's days for every performer I get to work with in person, there are just as many, if not more dungeon days. And the dungeon days are when these glasses are on us invisible, of course, but the way that we're seeing the world is so crap stained that we don't know why. And if we ask our, ourselves, why am I doing this? It's not a good immediate answer. Um, these are the days when those inadequacies, that inner child, that person that might've been hurt way back when really starts to come out and it starts to tell you, you need to protect your own. You know, you need yeah. to look out for you first. Um, the dreams that you've committed to, it's not worth it. The vulnerability that's going to take to get to where you want to go is going to be way too exposing and way too scary to even begin. So don't do it. And in this book, literally when in the dark is that number one, allowing ourselves to feel the dungeon. A lot of our suffering comes from what we resist and over and over again in our world, the dungeon is one not talked about, especially not on social media. And so what gets internalized to a lot of uh, ourselves and our athletes is you only can have it together and make it look like life is working out for you at this moment. And so in the book, we, we kind of try to blow that apart, that the dungeon is, is price of admission to yeah. one being human, but especially going on a, on a courageous journey in that the challenge is how do you respond to it? And do you have the skill set and the mindset to win in the dark? And, um, so that's what I'm excited about. I'm excited from the messages we're getting about like, man, this is truth. You know, this is deeper than just some band-aids. Like yeah. this is muddy. And I hope from it, we equip some leaders to start to share their story of how they feel the dungeon, where they felt it and what that freeing process looked like for them. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I can say that I tried the Band-Aid method for, for a while in my 20s, and eventually the wound is still there, uh, <laughs> you know, so you still got to rip it off. Um, one of the things I love about your work, and it also gets me as excited as this concept that you guys talk about, and I think as, as I continue to grow is, is how do I make room for this, um, is the idea of unlearning. Um, can you talk about that a little bit and why it's so important when sometimes we get this, just like you said, these three step this and three step that, and we can keep climbing this way. Um, why is unlearning so important to really grow and move forward? Yeah. Well, it's a great question and I, I can share my perspective on it. And, um, but I want, when you look at a child, like I have a three-year-old right now, his name's Drew Sweet. and man, Drew is full of energy. He's full of like, just living in the present exactly where he is. You know, he's all about, he doesn't think about failure. He doesn't think about judgment. It is just 
do it. And when you think about the evolution of, of a human, at some point we start to go into protective mode. We start to, uh, what we say, get robbed of life because of what we call the twin thieves. Uh, a friend of mine by the name of Steve Jones, who's a phenomenal high school coach, trains around these two principles that the twin thieves that steal more of your potential than anything else are fear of failure and fear of, more importantly, fear of judgment. And somewhere along this development as a human, we start to base more on instead of what we want and what we're growing towards, instead we start running away from things and running away from being judged. And when you look way back, this is something that's wired into us uh, in a very innate way. But when it comes to an unlearning process, we also have to dive into what are those limiting beliefs that you picked up from maybe your experiences, the way that you were parented with, with no judgment. I believe all parents are doing the absolute best that we can, but we're still human and along with coaches. So what did you pick up along the, the way that is limiting you, that are lies? And the biggest one that we see are these inadequacies and insecurities around, I'm not enough. I don't belong. And so when you think about yourself personally, at some way you found that, you know, Tyler as myself wasn't enough. And so you started to fill this void of I'm going to do more to prove my work. And so like when you fell into that role, how did it feel to be in kind of that frame of I need to constantly prove my worth because at a very root level, I'm not enough. I was thinking trying to be everything to everyone at that in that moment I think at the same time but yeah it was just I mean it felt like you're moving in the right direction but just stuck in the mud at the same time <laughs> like, oh, man. Like, like I'm facing the right way but I'm not really moving <laughs> yeah and that is such a good way to explain it and over time what are the results of living in that world of I'm going to use my sport to prove myself or I'm going to use this opportunity to fill that blank, to show myself and other people that I'm enough. Yeah. It's, it, it's emotionally taxing. Um, I, I think, and it just, for me, it, yeah, I created quite a dungeon. Um, and I think as an athlete, I would connect very much with what you said on your high school. I felt like on the external people think they got things together, but internal, there was always kind of a little storm going on. Yeah. Um, and so, um, yeah, that, that was some, some challenging stuff to go through, but it was, I think, like you said, you just kind of have to build the skills. You got to shine the light in the dungeon. And, and really once I figured out that the things I had to go through are important because those are the ones that shape me and who I'm going to become and how I can help others. Um, and then kind of can feel comfortable, I guess, shining my light around the dungeon now. And I know yeah. it's, I know it's down there. I know who I am. There's less surprises. Um, it, it's, you don't have that stuck in the mud feeling as much. Such a, such a good way to put it. That's stuck in the mud. I think so many of your listeners will get this. Um, but in, there's like this lie that if I finally achieve this, then I will finally feel what I'm looking for. So if I win a, finally win the championship or if I finally make enough money, or if I finally get that person's approval, then I will be okay. But that is, it's like guzzling salt water. It never is going to quench us. Yeah. And 
um, we call that mental prison. So anytime that we're locked underneath one of these, and I believe that there's, you know, seven or eight of these that we just come with as humans, that we come locked underneath. When we're locked underneath, I'm not enough. It's like you're stuck in mental prison. And you can do all the tools, all the things, all the tricks, but until you unlock yourself from mental prison, it's like you're training the, trying to get the best version of your restricted self. And yeah. mentally, that's what we're trying to do, is unlock people to come from a place of, of security, to come from a place of conviction, and then open themselves up to use their sport instead of it using them. And I think there's a, a, a delusion that just because of age, you start to get out of that box. And I, I still know adults that are living in that world of I'm not enough because it looks a lot like people pleasing. It looks a lot like beating ourselves to exhaustion. It looks like a lot like treating other people really, really well, but then being our own inner worst inner critic. And so my challenge to people is always unlock yourself because you give that gift to everybody that you come with then. That's great stuff. I wanted to get your idea and opinion just kind of uh, as you work with teams and schools and, and athletes and coaches all around. Um, what is it that you see maybe that as you look back in kind of those early education, early athletic experiences that uh, maybe Western culture lacks when it comes to just integrating leadership and life skills and mental training awareness, these types of things. Yeah. Um, man, that's a, that's a good one. I, I want, you know, like I, I haven't spent time in Eastern cultures as much. I've studied Eastern culture work. Yeah. Um, so I'll put it more as like just a human challenge that when we are less evolved and less aware, I just see these playing out and it might be an Eastern Western thing. But I would say first is just in the world of mental skills, so much of it is on defense. So we don't get a call maybe to help a team until crap's hitting the fan already. You know, like it's a big cluster. And yeah. then it's like, oh, we, we should actually start training how our mindsets, our, our beliefs, because that matters. And so it's first and foremost getting on the offense with this. And I think it's because – there's not as clear of an ROI, right? Like if you invest an hour of mental training, doesn't guarantee anything right away. But what we're starting to see is you're seeing this in professional sports with the development of so many mental skills departments. And now at the business level of people who don't want to play defense anymore, they realize that building trust, building mental skills is way too valuable to let reactive. So they're getting on the offense first. Um, so I think that's been a really cool evolution to see. And then from a, a different point, there, when I look at working with people, and I, I get the honor to work with some really high performers that they do some awesome things, is I look at three angles of performance. Number one, have you chosen what you want? Like, are you clear on where you want to go? Then two, and who you want to be. So choose. The second one is hustle. Have you developed the willingness to sacrifice to meet the dreams that you have? If you want to be in the top 1% of whatever your craft is, it only makes sense then that your schedule must show that you're sacrificing more than the other 99%. So we look at that angle. But to be honest with you, the people I'm working with have those two angles already done. The third one is surrender. 
And surrender is the realization that most of this journey is still outside of your control. And it's the realization that you can give your everything, but your everything still might not be enough. And that surrender and being at peace with what is, is a superpower. But it's something that our culture does not embody. But anytime that we resist what is, we create more suffering. So I try to train people and model to people people that I'm 100% okay with what our current reality is without suffering with it, but simultaneously committing to running towards an awesome future. And that is the, the real work with a lot of people that I'm working with is that level of surrender. Yeah, I like that. Just to, It's not a word you hear a lot when you talk about mental side athletics. Let's surrender. <laughs> yeah, and what's funny is like, because it's looked at as a weakness, right? But when you surrender the outcome, like if you need that outcome, by nature, you're going to play it safe. It's yeah, just the reality. No and the person who plays it safe gets their butt kicked. Like, and because they're operating out of fear, trying to avoid something, running away from something instead of creating. I love the idea that our brain and our mind with how it's worked, if you don't consciously create a future to run towards, it will unconsciously create stories that you're going to run away from. Ooh, One of like them's that. always in defense. One of them's in attack mode and on offense. I like it. Um, how do you define success when you think about success? What does it yeah. mean to you? I mean, it's a, a, to me, I look at it as a two-pronged effect. The first one for me to be successful is, is inner peace. Is can I be at peace with myself? with whatever I'm facing. And that I'll be, you know, is still hard to this day to be my own best coach. I really believe in the idea that the most mentally tough people are the ones who can love themselves and their people when times are the absolute toughest. Yeah. And so my grandpa, who is actually the, the, uh, he was kind of like the inspiration for the character in the book, when in the dark of Marco, okay. he, um, love this small town of freedom that I grew up in. And he told me a few times and the people that freedom was his heaven on earth. I mean, when you drive through freedom, you're not going to look at it and go, wow, this is awesome. Like, but he loved to sit outside of his shed. He loved to get all into the local high school athletics. He loved to uh, drink coffee and watch traffic go by. He knew everybody yep. in that internal place. Like you can't be beat if you find that type of internal peace. Um, but then when I look at like from a skill set perspective, there's a story I went in the dark that I'll just share briefly. And it's about a, a guy named Kano Jigoro and uh, Kano Jigoro was really into jujitsu growing up. And he uh, was into it because it gave him something as an underweight kid to really make his own. But over time this, you know, he developed some holds that were considered illegal in jujitsu. And the story goes that he broke off and then created his own sport called judo. And judo became, you know, it started out small, but then grew into the Olympic sport that it is today. And he was the founder of it. And inside of this sport, they have rankings. White belt signifies the beginner. Black belt signifies an expert. So, of course, Kano as the guy that created it <laughs> is a black belt. But uh, – he goes on to stop practicing as an athlete, but becomes a really good coach. And 
he's on his deathbed many, many years later, surrounded by his family and surrounded by some of the pupils that, you know, looked at him as a father figure. And they ask him, you know, Grandmaster, how do we make sure that if you're going to die, if this is for real, that you die with the honor that you deserve? And he tells them, um, there's one thing that I want you to make sure happens. I want you to make sure that you bury me in my white belt because I always want to have the spirit of a beginner. And I think success is how do you develop a black belt skill set in your craft, but maintain a white belt mindset? How do you get so good that you get the opportunities to be at a championship level of whatever your craft might be, but still maintain the mind frame of asking more questions than giving answers of still putting first things first. And the people that I know that have first off have even found close to inner peace, but then second have got many of the results that in a material way we would say are successful. They can, they've developed a black belt skill set, but really have done it through a white belt mindset. And so um, that's how I would define that and what comes to mind when we, we even bring up that word. But I do think it's just a great question that you ask and everybody should really spend time in it before your season, before your, your new uh, business cycle. What does winning look like here? What does yeah. success look like? And dive into that question. Awesome. Well, last question. Uh, one we always like to ask on the podcast here from your journey. Uh, if you could jump in a time machine and uh, go visit 16 year old Lucas, what one piece of advice or what one truth in the world would you want to share with 16 year old self? Oh, that's a, it's hard because I kind of just wrote a book about all the truths, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah. But uh, if I had to say, you know, one thing, I guess it's going to be blended together. It's that the pain that you're going through has purpose. Um, I think one of the scariest things to, to people, including myself is uncertainty of, is there any finish line to the challenge that I'm going through? And I mean, COVID right now is a real example of this. Yeah. If, if we could get as a society, like, Hey, January 1st, this is all over. Um, we would buckle down and be like, all right, we got it. But the uncertainty and I call the invisible finish line can be really scary. And for me at that time, going through those dungeon days, that wonder of, will there ever be another side of this? And today I get to do what I do. I believe I have a unique superpower because of the pain that I went through. I can see that in other people's eyes now, you know, and I can pick up on things because of what I had to go through. And so off of that, there's a, a quote that I've really been leaning into um, that life isn't about circumstantial comfort. It's about spiritual evolution. And that's a tough one to swallow. Um, I, I heard it from a, a friend, Peter Crone and like, but when I think about the moments where I've grown the most, it's when I was going through the fires of life. And it's when I was going through that polishing, um, which I know is becoming cliche, but like, to me, that's a truth. And so that's what I would remind uh, my younger self about. I would also remind myself just, I was so loved. I was so blessed. And there were so many resources around for me whenever I wanted and needed them. And uh, just to not hesitate to reach out to those people that in the book we call shining stars in the dark. You know, when it's the darkest for you, there are people that show up in the darkest moments uh, to help guide you forward.